very good morning to you all, and uh, Happy New Year. Oh dear. I didn't realize the audience was going to be that bad. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Um, it's a time when everyone says you need to set yourself goals that will improve your life. How often do we keep them? Not often. And the truth is that they are rarely kept, and they rarely make a difference. But this morning, we're going to look at a psalm that will give us real hope for a change that will last forever. The important questions for us here today as Christians is how well do we know God and how do we get to know him better? If I said to you, from where does my help come, you will say, my help comes from the Lord. Yeah, thank you. Yes, well done. That's Psalm 121. We're only two Psalms away from that. But they are both a song of ascent. And that means they um, describe, they picture this journey of God's people with God and to God, to Jerusalem and the temple. And here we have this picture of God of the people in 121, what the psalm we just said. They're a distance away. There's, there's space between them and God. But here this morning, this psalm starts right in God's presence, right with God. Um, and that, that's important. Because we need to know who and where God is. That might sound a bit strange, but let me explain. What can we learn from this first verse? It says that we as individuals need to look up to God, to lift our eyes to God. And this immediately reflects God's position and our position. We are below him and he is above us in every way possible. Um, Our first slide, Psalm 115 Um, Verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Fantastic picture of God's sovereignty, isn't it? So we should lift our eyes. It requires effort to look up to God, who is enthroned in glory. God is sovereign, and we praise him by recognizing that he is sovereign. isn't Isn't that what Jesus taught his disciples when he taught them how to pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what does being enthroned tell tell us? Well, we know who God is because he sits on the throne. To come to God is to recognize his sovereignty. He is the steadfast God. He doesn't change. Even if the whole power of the the world and the universe tried to equal him, it couldn't. It would fall short because he is the creator and there is no one, no one above him. We need to look up to recognize where and who our God is as our Father, to glorify God as we know him more. Our first response in verse 1 is to praise him. To look to God is to learn about him, how he is revealed and glorified in his word through Jesus. But we have to ask ourselves, where are we actually looking? I mean, it sounds obvious and easy, but it's not. Do we actually take the time to focus on God? Just think, the creator of the universe allows us to speak to him. That's amazing, isn't it? Do you feel that? Every day, every moment. Do we look to God the way he is as we plow through that week, the usual grind? Is God in our mind? The problem we face in the world we live in is that we, the, the world just gets in the way of our view of God. And there's that old adage, isn't there? Out of sight, out of mind. We can struggle, especially when we're suffering in some way. Now, um, looking to God is not always easy. The world intrudes. 
our work, relationships, politics, birthdays, weather, illness, anything and everything can get in our way. At the different things that cry out for our attention, we have to ask ourselves, how successful are we at lifting our eyes to God? Or do we sometimes just pay lip service? I mean, compare yourself to when you first became a Christian to now. Do we engage with the same wonder and excitement? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Have our prayers, though, become perhaps irregular? Do they have less meaning for us as we become so busy with the worldly distractions? Do they just become routine and when we can fit them in? Have we started to put God on hold because it takes so much time and effort? What would you think of someone who only calls you when they need something? Is that what we do to God? Have we become too familiar and familiarity breeds contempt? Things going well can also be a distraction. We can become complacent and think we're okay, and we end up just becoming formal and ticking boxes. We need to lift up our eyes to remove the obstacles the world puts in place and praise God for who he is. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Lifting our eyes is the starting point. We need to ask ourselves if we need to reevaluate who we believe God is. Have we lost sight of the fact that he's above us in all things? Are we looking up to the hope in the majesty and the power of God? I mean, do you find yourself scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or news feeds or whatever it is? You, you can find plenty of time to do that, can't you? And you click from one story to another. I mean, and do you go back to it every moment you can? I mean, how many cute dog or cat videos have you seen? What about the ones with the pandas? I mean, you know, they're great to look at, aren't they? But compare how much time we spend doing that to how much time we spend with God. Our Creator God. Lift up our eyes, we are told, above the world we are in. The heart and the mind is no rest when looking down at all the troubles and the distractions. Our eyes are linked to our hearts and minds. Looking down the whole time will do us no good. It will give us no rest. No peace. How many times do we let the world distract us? But what can we do? We have to live in the world, don't we? Well, we just have to continue making the effort to lift up our eyes before we do anything else and praise God for who he is. We have to fix our hope and confidence and expectation upon the Lord. Remember his covenant promise to save his people. To look is an expression of trust. And God has proven himself over and over. The world, however, refuses to look up, refuses to see God. The world looks down or inward. In fact, the world will look anywhere except to God. To look to God is to see ourselves as God sees us. And it changes our perspective on what matters. When we look at our words and actions and see this in the light of his glory and grace, we realize we need God's mercy. And this is what makes the difference. The world wants us to believe that we can do things our own way, that we don't need God. The proof of this is all around us, especially at New Year's and all those resolutions. It's why there are so many self-help people around and new philosophies, made to look, and old philosophies and health kits and any number of things which say, I can make you feel better. And if you succeed at doing those things, which sometimes we do, you can look at others and go, hey, I'm amazing. Yeah? But the most of these resolutions will be forgotten very soon. We, we can't afford to forget God. 
Where God is shows us where we are to place our trust and confidence. To refuse to look to God means to reject who he is. And in verse 2, we can see a bit of a change here because it comes down to God's mercy and it's a cry from the heart. It begins with, Behold. It's a great word, isn't it? Behold. I love it. Behold. It's an imperative, and it, which means it's a command. Um, and it can mean to look, to observe, and to consider. So we are to behold. We are to consider who God is in the fact of who we are. More specifically, the roles we have. Because in verse 2, it makes quite clear our role is one of being a servant. The master and the mistress in the picture have the authority over the servants. So to look is so important here that the word eyes appears three times in just those two verses. To see God is to know God, to recognize his authority to give mercy. It shows us the reality of our position before God. Maybe you've heard it said that they were going to put someone in their place. Yeah, well, that's what's happening here. The psalmist is speaking for all of us, and our place is in our dependence and submission to God until he has mercy on us. It's a lesson in being humble, isn't it? That we have become aware of our sin and our need to look to God. The picture here is of an obedient heart, that we acknowledge that we are here just as servants. This humbling picture. But how can we compare ourselves to the enthroned sovereign God? And why looking in verse 2 at the hand? What's this about the hand? Well, what are the servants waiting for? They're waiting for a sign from God. They're waiting for God's signal. We're to wait for God to act. The temptation, of course, is for us to act in our own strength. We are called to be watchful for the smallest sign of the hand. Okay, so here goes one. I'm going to call you. Yeah, simple, isn't it? Dismiss you. Threaten. Refuse something or accuse. Yeah? It's, it's nice and simple. Just something so straightforward. But being an obedient servant is not a popular idea, is it? How is it we should be before God? To the only one who can alter our situation. There is here a desire for protection and appeal to God's mercy. Do we think we can do without God? Are we so full of pride? So as servants, we are to watch. And watching is just active waiting. We wait, not for orders to act, but for a sign of God's mercy, to be careful not to miss it. But we can wait with confidence. Our dependence is all in God's hands, hands that created the universe, the hands that can provide all we can ever need. Do we look in awe and obedience, expectantly to wait on the Lord for his grace and mercy? How do we do this in the face of suffering? Remember, God sees our suffering. In Exodus 3, verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. In Hebrews 2:18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We need to be sure our focus is on God, that we serve God and not the world. God knows suffering and temptation. Satan tried to tempt Jesus, didn't he, and failed. Until we are with God, though, we cannot be free from temptation or suffering. Have we bowed to God's will? Do we desire to be at God's disposal or have God at ours? Not that we should do nothing, but that in whatever we do, we do humbly as a servant dependent on the Lord. 
we are here to look and to wait for God to act. We have to realize our true need is beyond our ability to solve. Mercy isn't gained by us, it is given by God. And it's God's hand that regulates the whole house. It's a sign of his power and sovereignty in the tiniest of movements. But do we have the servant attitude? Do we watch God through his word, attentive to his will and his timing? Here in this psalm, we're shown that we as servants have to wait with submission and patience for God to act. And maybe we need to think that perhaps we come to God to pray only when we want something or when things have gone horribly wrong. In pride, we try to do things in our own way. And we come and we demand or argue with God for something we want. We're all guilty of ignoring God, aren't we? The psalmist points out our need for mercy, that mercy only comes from the Lord. It is all his work. What we need so badly is to be forgiven so we may enter the presence of God. This cry for mercy is a humbling experience, whether this is for the first time we have come to God or the millionth. To enter God's presence without mercy is just not possible. To fix our eyes on God, to look for the sign for mercy, knowing that he looks at us with mercy, we can be confident in God's covenant promise to save a people for himself. In these two verses, we're told to praise God of the heavens and all creation. We are to wait for God to intervene as he's promised, so we are to look for the slightest sign of God's mercy. Here in these two verses, the focus is on, is on their need for forgiveness, and so far hasn't mentioned those who are oppressing them. Verse 3 moves on to why mercy is necessary. Here's an example of how contempt works. I used to work in John Lewis, Frank Cross, when I was a mere lad, 16, 17, I don't know, 18. Um, and this customer, came, this old gent, comes in and he goes, Boy! And he called me boy the whole time. Um, he was overbearing, he was rude, just because I worked in a shop. I, I cannot describe how insignificant I felt in front of that guy. He had no right to treat me that way, no right to regard me in that way. But however we both felt about each other, because he was judging me and I was sure judging him, what I didn't know then was that we were both in the same position. We were both under God's judgment, that we both needed God's mercy. And this is mercy that is talked about in verse 3, a plea for God to act. In the, um, they, they, they're asking for mercy. They're withholding of suffering to persevere in the situation they find themselves in. The problem, they can take no more. In the original language, the, the, the language is about being filled to the brim or total saturation. You know, you just cannot put any more in. They cannot endure this contempt. And this is a relevant message for us today, isn't it? Of all the persecutions and of atrocities subjected on God's people throughout history, contempt is the one we are perhaps most familiar with. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Easy to say, but don't we all wish that that were true? If we could ignore these words, that they would roll up like water off a duck's back. But this way of attacking is serious. To be honest, it could lead us to hide our faith, to remain silent when we should speak up. And it may even lead to some saying they renounce God in the hope that it will make their struggles go away. That by joining the world, they can dodge the contempt. 
Well, it may work, but at what price? There are no alternatives other than to persevere and wait on God. That's not so easy to do, but we are all in danger of falling into that trap because we're surrounded by pitfalls. They've had, uh, they've had enough. They, and in this verse, they ask two times for mercy. And it's not a formal prayer, once said, immediately forgotten. It is a desperate cry. Many of us have felt the need for relief from persecution or contempt. God's people have always been surrounded with contempt and ridicule. See, we are not just waiting passively for mercy, but we're begging, pleading for God's intervention. Waiting is active. The need for God to have mercy and intervene is not, not, not just because people are filled, but because people are drowning in a flood of contempt. And maybe we need to think a little bit about what contempt is. Contempt is. Um, I like to think of it as pride that's been weaponized. Um, you know, when someone acts towards you as if, um, as, if they're, as if you're beneath them and that they're superior to you, whether that's real or imagined. Uh, remember that guy in John Lewis? I mean, I was just a shop assistant. It's my job to serve him. That was not a problem. It was the way that he acted to me. He made it clear that he thought nothing of me. <clears throat> I had chosen that job, and I was less than nothing for doing so. See, the thing about contempt is it makes you feel worthless. It's like being trampled down. To see that smile, that superior smile that says, look at all I have. This shows I'm better than you. What is missing is the understanding that God has placed us in these positions. Whatever they have is from God. And we are all under judgment and all dependent on God's mercy. So this prayer is an earnest pleading shown in its repetition. It's an urgent prayer for help that can only come from God. I mean, at, work, at our work, our place of work, our school, wherever we are, we can be singled out and attacked by others who hold different attitudes. In one commentary I read by Kidna, it says, um, contempt is like cold steel that cuts deeper into the spirit than anything else, more than any other type of rejection. The world makes a joke of all God's word. It pours scorn on God's people, and they can no longer endure the oppression in their own strength. Um, as a church family, we are to pray for each, each other that we have that strength. Suffering as Christians is to be expected. I mean, Jesus told us we to pick up our cross and follow. But in Jesus, the sting of contempt is withdrawn. It can be an honour. In Acts 5, 41, the apostles had been told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they were beaten and humiliated. And in verse 41 it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for his name. Christ himself accepted ridicule and contempt on the cross to fulfill God's purpose. He died so that we could receive God's mercy and be forgiven. You see, we need to ask God for the right thing, first and foremost, for his mercy. And I'm reminded of a time when my youngest was just a little baby, not a year old, and for six or seven months he had been waking up every night for five or six times. I cannot tell you how often I prayed for that child to go to sleep. And he never did, until my prayer changed and I asked for the strength to cope with it. And somehow, we got through. <laughs> um, we need to be sure that we don't cry out for justice when we should be shouting for mercy. Do we ask God to punish when we should ask for the strength to persevere? 
The psalm here just asks for mercy, doesn't it? It doesn't talk about righteousness or justice. It leaves that totally up to God. The psalmist doesn't plead for the merit of his people. We know we fail. He prays, and we should too, because God has promised to have mercy on those who wait on him. In verse 4, again we see that cry, more than enough, to emphasize the point that they can't take anymore. But we have God's word to look to for encouragement. Lamentations 3, 22-24 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So, we are called to trust in what God can do, in God's word, in his sovereignty. There can be no other path. Whatever the situation may be, we can only wait on God. He is the one in control. He is sovereign, and we should give him his proper place. But to suffer like this is no easy thing. And there are many here, I'm sure, who have experienced this. But remember, we are told that mercy will triumph through over the contempt of the proud and the scorn of those who are at ease, it says in the the verse. These scoffers become proud of heart. They're proud of their conduct. They believe shows how clever they are. Proverbs 21-24 says, The scoffer is the name of the arrogant haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Remember verse 1? What are we to do? Lift up our eyes. Literally, don't allow your eyes to be drawn down. Don't focus on the world. Focus on the cross. The psalmist asks for mercy from contempt. Scorn for being a servant. It can be effective as it strikes at our doubts and our insecurities. Those who are at ease and self-complacent disregard the word of God. They don't feel they need him. And they despise God's people. Such is their rejection. They cannot just disagree, but they have to continue to attack at every opportunity. Have you been in situations like that? There's this one person that will not let it go. I'm not interested in hearing, they say, but they come at you with half a dozen questions which are meant to upset. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. Um, These people will hold to their position. Remember at the cross, there were two thieves on either side. One asked for mercy. The other just poured, continued to pour scorn until he died. Which one would receive God's mercy? But why contempt? Contempt. Well, anybody can can be contemptible, can't they? Anybody can act in a contemptible way. Um, There are many examples in the Bible. The, The first one that sprang to mind was when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. You see, they're trusting in what they have and what they have achieved because they have so much. What about comedians? Comedians love to ridicule God, don't they? Yeah. Why do they do that? Well, because people love to hear it. And isn't it interesting how ridicule often becomes very aggressive and then wants to blame God for what's happening? And you get that thing, well, if there is a God, why is he not doing anything? But they don't want to listen to the answer. The world and all who belong to it deny God because they don't believe they need saving. This is what ignorance is. It's a self-deception, a refusal to hear, let alone to consider what God has done to save. uh, Feeling contempt is to feel superior um, means that they take no account of their own sin. And those who are prosperous and are happy with their success believe they deserve what the world offers, offers. 
Poverty and sorrow is believed by many of these people to be a fault of those who are suffering. We choose who we look to, and the question is simple. Do we look to the world, or do we look to God? There's no fence to sit on here. The scoffer's choice is simple. Give up God, and you'll be happy, you'll be set free, no religion to worry about, and you can be satisfied in what the world can give you. But of course, if they do this, they lose all that God can give. James 4, chapter 6 says, um, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. So you can look at some people and they don't appear to have any outward troubles and they don't appear to worry about anything at all. They don't care at all if they do anything that is against what God says. So what does this mean for us? Well, the first thing we have to remember is that God, and Jesus of course, knows our limits and our weaknesses. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, "No, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So who can help us? Well, the king on his throne can. Remember, look up to God, not down. Look to the mercy of God. Confess your dependence and through Jesus approach the throne humbly. Acknowledge your own sin. Ask for mercy in your situation. What does it matter what the world can do? We must discipline ourselves to lift our eyes above and beyond to God, whose mercy wipes away our sin and will do of anyone who asks in Jesus' name. How do we pray about others? Do we pray for God to punish them, or do we ask for mercy and relief? Jesus promised he would be with us to the end of the age. Wherever we are now, we have access to God in prayer and through his word. But what and how do we pray? Well, we need to stand ready, looking to God's word to guide us, so we are watching God in patient trust. Perhaps we need to make a New Year's resolution to pray to to God always. Don't despair. Look to God in all things until he has mercy on us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise to save a people. And Father, we ask that you would build us up in strength to persevere in each, of our sep- in each of our situations. In your mercy, help us to lift our eyes to you, confident that you will have mercy on us. Amen.